Welcome to Dispatches, the official podcast for the Journal of the American Revolution. The Journal of the American Revolution publishes weekly online at www.allthingsliberty.com. For the latest in research, reviews, and commentaries, America's Most Important History is available free of charge at the Journal of the American Revolution. There was no real, everybody was one side or the other. And it, as I said, in Jersey, it was, it was a pretty bloody uh, civil war as much as a war against the British and the Hessians. That's Journal of the American Revolution contributor Joseph Rebelski discussing pardons and oaths of allegiance during the American Revolution. And he's our guest today. I'm Brady Kreitzer, and this is Dispatches. This episode is brought to you by Rhode Island Publication Society, publishers of the new book, Revolutionary War Defenses of Rhode Island, by John K. Robertson. Available now wherever books are sold. Visit their site, ripublications.org, today. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of Dispatches. I'm your host, Brady Kreitzer. Today, our guest is longtime Journal of the American Revolution contributor Joseph Rapelski, and he'll be discussing the politics of pardons and oaths of allegiance during the American Revolution. We can often forget during this war uh, that people who were participating in it didn't know what was coming next any more than we know what's coming next tomorrow. And when you understand that and you read Joe's article this week, uh, you'll see that both sides, British and American, had very real plans for peace after the war. Neither one of them necessarily understood how this was going to play out. So sit back, relax, and enjoy our interview with Joseph Rebelski. Joe Rebelski, welcome back. Uh, thank you, Brady. Uh, glad to be here. Tell us about your background. Okay. Um, I grew up in the Trenton, New Jersey area, an area that is rich in uh, Revolutionary War history and lore. Uh, I went to Trenton State College. Today it's known as the College of New Jersey, where I earned a uh, BA and a uh, permanent certification as a secondary social studies teacher. That was in 1967. Uh, following graduation, I joined the Peace Corps and spent 27 months training and then teaching social studies at Chanel College in Western Samoa. And then when I returned to Trenton in 1970, I got a job as a social studies teacher at my high school alma mater in Notre Dame High School in Trenton. And also uh, during that period, I received an MA in social studies education also from Trenton State. Uh, then in 1974, I was employed by the School District of Philadelphia, where I spent the next 28 years in both the Office of Research and Evaluation and then my last 10 years there as a social studies teacher in a uh, dropout prevention high school. Also, while I was in Philadelphia, I earned a, a doctorate of education from Temple University's University back in 1987. Uh, I retired from the school district in 2002, and I'm back in the Trenton area. So that's a little bit about my background. What first drew your interest into this topic? Well, uh, as a retired social studies teacher, I was looking for some way to keep in the field, and I became a volunteer docent at Morvan Museum and 
Gardens in Princeton, New Jersey. This was the home of Richard Stockton, one of five signers of the Declaration of Independence uh, from New Jersey. And Stockton had the dubious distinction of being the only civilian signer who was arrested and imprisoned by the British in uh, December, uh, end of November, beginning of December 1776. And also he had the dubious honor of being the only signer who took the Howe brothers' pardon. Uh, his situation intrigued me as to what prompted him uh, to have been, to seem to have been a confirmed uh, patriot, being he uh, signed the declaration. And not only him, but another 2,700 uh, New Jerseyans also took the pardon from uh, that the Howe brothers had offered, and uh, and then I, you know, wanted to see what consequences faced them uh, once the Patriots got control of the state again. So that that's what got me into uh, going in at this topic for this article. Talk about the Howe brothers and their role in this article. Okay, uh, in researching the Howe brothers, I found them really to be interesting individuals. Uh, I. Through my background, in, uh, as, as I said, as a social studies teacher, I knew Richard was an admiral and his brother, William, was a general. And that's basically it uh, in history textbooks, except that William was usually portrayed as kind of being an incompetent general. And he preferred dallying, dalliancing with Mrs. Laurie, Loring as opposed to uh, leading the British Army. But as I said in my research, I found the real picture of them was much different. Uh, while the Howe brothers were aristocrats, uh, they were they also achieved military honors through actions on the battlefield, particularly in the French and Indian War. In my article, I quoted David Fisher from his Washington's Crossing uh, book that their opportunities came about from privilege, but their achievements were earned by merit. Uh, a key to their role in this article was their ties to the American colonies as a result of their involvement, as I said, in the French and Indian War, where they served and came to respect the American colonists, particularly their uh, fighting ability. Uh, one thing also should be noted about the Howe brothers, their oldest brother, George, who was a brigadier general in um, the French and Indian War, uh, he was killed at the Battle of for Fort Ticonderoga and is today buried in uh, Albany, New York. Uh, so, again, this is what uh, got me interested in this, uh, in the Howe brothers and their, what their role was going to be in the uh, idea of giving pardons to Americans. How did they view the rebellion in North America? Right. Uh, now, aside from just spending time in the colonies uh, during the war, uh, their role as peace commissioners came about partly or might even be mainly because they were Whig Party uh, members in Parliament. Uh, Admiral Howe was from, uh, oh, I forget the name, the area, but it was a naval area. And um, William was the representative from their home district uh, in Nottinghamshire. The Whigs, again, this party, the Whigs, they were strong advocates for the predominance of Parliament, and they were much in favor of the protection of rights of Englishmen, uh, 
and they treated the Ameri- and they believed the Americans were Englishmen. And their role was that they favored uh, reconciliation with the colonists. Uh, and their attitudes towards the Americans can be seen uh, as far back as 1774 when uh, William was giving a talk to the constituents in his uh, parliamentary district where he told them he would refuse to serve in North America if he was ordered to go there to fight the Americans. And furthermore, uh, Richard uh, Howe and his sister Caroline uh, they had met with Benjamin Franklin at the end of the time that Franklin was in England uh, in 1775 a number of times uh, to meet and discuss how they might be able to uh, bring about a peaceful settlement to the uh, grievances for the Americans. Uh, so, like I said, they had ties to America and they were not uh, as harsh in their views as the King and the Tories were. What was their role as peace commissioner? Okay, well, aside from their Americans, uh, their sympathy for Americans, uh, they both ended up accepting commands in North America, even though William had said he wouldn't do it. Uh, He was appointed as General Gage's second-in-command. Eventually, he became commander-in-chief of all British forces in North America, while Vice Admiral Richard Howe was appointed uh, commander of the British fleet in American waters. And when he arrived in New York Harbor, he had over half of all British uh, warships under his command. And as I said, uh, while King George and the Tories were calling for very severe actions to take to deal with the rebels in America, the Whigs had a strong also had a strong presence in Parliament, and they were pushing for a compromise that called, and they uh, suggested that Admiral Howe, who was a Whig, uh, be asked to accept the position as a uh, peace commissioner, and he would be empowered to bring about an equitable solution to the conflict. Uh, He stated he would accept the position only if his brother was appointed as a co-commissioner and uh, the king and his cabinet agreed to this and uh, the both factions uh, agreed it agreed to as I said and uh, their official title for the Howe brothers were the king's commissioners for restoring peace in his majesty's colonies and plantations in North America in my article, I kind of view this as a this dual appointment as both military leaders and peace commissioners as kind of presenting the colonists with a carrot and a stick. The carrot was this idea of a pardon for what the British considered treason and the possibility of negotiating a solution to all their grievances uh, over taxes and uh, other questions of trade. Now, the stick part was the threat of overwhelming military force to, you know, crush the rebellion, and uh, there were going to be economic consequences by using the Navy to uh, blockade their ports and uh, cut off any trade. So by the middle of July, both Howe brothers were in New York, and on July 14, 1776, they 
produced a proclamation where they offered a free pardon to all who would swear an oath to recognize the authority of the king and pledge to have nothing further to do with the rebellion. And also during this period between July and uh, the middle of September, they put out feelers. Uh, first, they tried to meet with George Washington. They sent uh, a delegation, and uh, they wanted to meet with him. But this fell through over kind of a silly thing that they addressed the letter to Washington as George Washington Esquire. And when Joseph Reed, who led the uh, group, uh, he was Washington's adjutant general, to accept the letter, they refused because they said they didn't know who this man was. They only worked for General Washington. And so the Americans would not accept the letter unless it was addressed to the general, and the British wouldn't send it to General Washington because he was appointed by Congress, and uh, they refused to recognize Congress. And then in September, uh, they had a meet. They actually had a meeting. Uh, Admiral Howe met with Benjamin Franklin, John Adams, and Edward Rutledge on Staten Island to see if they could come to a uh, some type of compromise. But again, this after a few hours of discussing things, it became evident that nothing was going to come over this because the Americans said they would only accept anything uh, from the British if they recognize the independence of the United States. And Howe said there's no way that they would be able to recognize uh, the, the United States, uh, the American colonies, as an independent organization. And so for the remainder of the summer and through the fall, the British used the stick part where they had overwhelming military force. And you know, as we know, they routed uh, the Patriot, the Continental Army, out of New York and across New Jersey. How did the British victories in 1776 change this? Uh, okay, well, the thing that changed with the stunning defeats that was experienced by Washington and his army, many citizens in New York and New Jersey began to accept the pardons offered by the proclamation of June uh, 14, 1776. And then as the Americans retreated across New Jersey, the British took over control of most of the state. And at the end of November, November 30th, uh, the House reissued their offer of a free pardon for 60 more days. And uh, a free pardon means there were no strings attached to it. You just came in and swore. After 60 days, you could only receive a pardon if you uh, joined a loyalist unit or joined the actual British Army. And again, these pardons were only only males took the pardons because they were the only ones that were considered to have uh, any part in this rebellion. And eventually, it was estimated about 2,700 men in New Jersey, and Hal wrote to uh, Lord Germain, the secretary for the colonies, that probably with, between New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Around uh, 4,000 uh, colonists had accepted the offer of uh, their pardon. And uh, mainly it had to do with uh, the control that the British took, uh, you know, defeating the, uh, the armies. 
And uh, again, uh, Fisher in uh, his Washington's Crossing book, he noted that th- this number of in New Jersey probably accounted for almost tw- uh, 12% of the uh, male population in New Jersey. Now, the main incentive for taking this pardon was that once you took it, you swore the oath, they gave you a certificate that entitled the bearer to the protection of the British Army for himself, his family, and his property, and also gave you the right to pass and repass uh, across British lines without uh, molestation. So this was, as I said, quite an incentive for people who really felt, well, the war was over. There was no way that the uh, Continental Army and Washington were going to uh, do anything because everyone knew that as of January 1st, the Continental Army's enlistments were up and the Army would just disintegrate. So that's basically what the uh, pardons were about. How did New Jersey respond? Uh, Okay, now, uh, again, a little bit more about the loyalty oath. Um, In the oath, what what you actually did is you promised to remain peaceable obedience to his majesty, and you would not take up arms or nor encourage anyone else to take up arms or be in opposition to authority of the British government. So that was basically what the oath was about. And as I said, once you took the oath, you got a certificate that uh, kind of gave you a pass uh, that when the British showed up in your town and uh, they came to your house and property, you would show them the certificate and they would leave you alone. Uh, And uh, one of the sad things about this was it really didn't work the way it was supposed to because a lot of times uh, Hessian soldiers who didn't speak English not only read it, and a lot of the illiterate British soldiers who, uh, when they were showed these certificates of pardon, uh, they just ignored it and went about uh, stealing and uh, causing problems for the Americans. Now, uh, we're talking about how did New Jersey respond? Well, in New Jersey, as early as September of 1776, the new provincial Congress of New Jersey, they are the ones who took control after they arrested uh, Governor Franklin, they required oaths of abjuration. The oath of abjuration is where you renounce your allegiance to the king and then uh, oath of allegiance to the United States and New Jersey. Originally, only civil and military officials had to take this oath. And then in October, uh, this new Congress or Assembly for New Jersey, they passed an act that would to punish treason and disaffected persons. And they defined treason as anyone who aided or abetted the British Army or defended the authority of Great Britain. And any person accused and convicted of this would be liable for fines and punishment. And then finally, in June of 1777, once the uh, patriots in New Jersey got control of most of the states, they extended that uh, this new uh, the loyalty oath of abjuration and allegiance to anyone who exhibited treasonable actions. And mainly this was considered that anyone who took the uh, HALP pardon 
this was uh, prima facie uh, that you, know, you took a treasonable action. And to oversee uh, the administration of these, the oaths of abjuration and allegiance, the New Jersey set up a council of safety that uh, was consisted of Governor Livingston and 12 members. And usually these members were judges or justices of the peace. And their duty was to go from county to county, uh, naming individuals, finding uh, other individuals who were suspected of these treasonable acts, and then requiring them to take the oaths or face the consequences of fines, imprisonment, and the confiscation of their uh, property. And just like the British oath, once you took the oath, you would get a certificate that named you as a repentant offender. And again, you were entitled to a free and unconditional pardon. And just going back to Richard Stockton, as I mentioned, he was the only civilian signer who was arrested by the British and imprisoned. He's the only signer to take the Howe pardon. And in December of 1777, he also took the oath of the oaths of abjuration and allegiance to the United States. So uh, Richard Stockton, as I said, is a prime example of someone who went through the entire gamut of taking oaths both to the Howells and, again, to uh, New Jersey. So that's mainly how New Jersey responded. But uh, also, before New Jersey even got into this, uh, Washington tried to make it a national thing that people had to take loyalty oaths. And he got in trouble with Congress because Abraham Clark, who was a signer from New Jersey, uh, one of the five, he had he uh, questioned how Washington could order this in the state of New Jersey where he didn't have authority over his state. And so after that, uh, Washington and the uh, National Congress backed off and they left it up to the individual states to take care of the problem within their own state of people who had taken uh, oaths of loyalty to the king. So that's basically it about the uh, New Jersey's response. How did the House plan fall apart after this? Okay, I look upon it for two uh, reasons. First, it was due to, in many instances that I had previously mentioned, where the British and Hessian soldiers, uh, the treatment of their civilians, as I said, even though they had certificates, uh, they were out looking for plunder and uh, what have you, taking revenge on the civilians. So even though they had many uh, people would see that their neighbors had these oaths and it didn't protect them. And even, uh, and it, you know, it caught a res resentment to the British that they were kind of going back on their word. And probably the second and the main reason that uh, it fell to the wayside was it only had validity when the British had physical control of an area. So once the Americans in took control of most of New Jersey after the two battles at Trenton, battle at Princeton, and Washington moving up into Marstown, uh, when the British weren't there in physical force to uh, show the, the flag, so to speak, and the Patriots got control, 
the uh, British or the Halp pardons uh, lost their favor, and uh, as I said, they returned back to the uh, American side. How does this article help us understand the Revolutionary Era better? Well, for me, what I think it showed was uh, that at the beginning of the Revolution, uh, both sides were you had the hardcore people, the patriots, and who wanted independence right from the beginning, and on the British side, the Tories, who wanted to cause severe repercussions for on the Americans who uh, took part in the rebellion. And probably the majority of people on both sides really didn't want to go to, you know, really didn't want independence, didn't want harsh measures. But once the fighting broke out and things became serious, uh, people became very upset with, like in New Jersey, when the Howe brothers offered um, the pardons, uh, free pardons, again, you got it just if you come in and swore, the hardcore loyalists were very upset with this. They wrote letters to Howe. How, how could you let these traitors in without any punishment? And then... When the reverse happened in New Jersey, as I said, when the, the Patriots got control of the state and they offered uh, free pardons for anyone who pledged allegiance to the United States in New Jersey, the hardcore people were upset that, you know, you would give, again, the traitors to America uh, a free ride. So this shows, to me, the split in the uh, Revolutionary War. You know, we're back in the old days, we were taught one-third were for the war, one-third were against, one-third were in the middle. And this kind of supports it uh, in, the, in the sense that there was no real, everybody was one side or the other. And it, as I said, in Jersey, it was, it was a pretty bloody uh, civil war as much as a war against the British and the Hessians. And I think the example of both sides requiring loyalty oaths uh, brought this out. Joe Rebelski, thanks again. Well, thank you very much, uh, Brady, and I look forward to listening to the podcast on uh, all things liberty and the Journal of the American Revolution. Thank you for uh, putting me on again. The music played in this episode included works by Kevin McLeod and the Sturbridge Colonial Militia. Any unauthorized reproduction or use of this podcast, without the express written permission of the Journal of the American Revolution, is strictly prohibited. For everyone here at Dispatches, I'm Brady Kreitzer saying so long.